0: Welcome to Design for Joy, the radio ministry of Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California, celebrating the fact that God's people are designed for the joyful Christian life. We are glad that you could join us for today's broadcast with our pastor and teacher, Dr. Mark Mafucci. And now, let's go to the teaching for today. Let's go to God's Word. Take, Turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, okay? John chapter 1 is our passage today. Today we begin a new series of messages entitled Outrageous Truths. What I, what I mean when I say an outrageous truth is a, a truth that is a part of the Christian life but that after a while we can become so used to it that it, it just lacks the impact that it should have. For us, but we need to be reminded that these truths are outrageous. And today's outrageous truth is this you can influence someone's eternal destiny. You can be an influencer of eternal destiny. Here's the key concept for today we are all called to be inviters. We are all called to be inviters. Today I'm going to talk to you about inviting on two levels. On one level, I'm going to talk to you about the importance of inviting the people around you, the people that you know, to share this experience that we have on Sunday mornings in church, inviting people to church. But on another level, I'm also going to talk to you about inviting people to Christ, to Jesus Christ. Everyone you've ever met... Everyone you've ever seen, every driver and every passenger and every car that you've ever passed on any highway you've ever driven on, they've all been eternal beings. Where will they spend eternity? Everyone you know, everyone you love, every family member and every friend, they are eternal beings. They will live for eternity either in heaven or in hell. And you get to influence That destiny. Have you ever seen those missing child alerts? They used to be on milk cartons, and then for a while they were sent to us as postcards. I remember getting postcards with missing child alert, and they had a picture of the child, what the child looked like when they went missing or they were abducted. How did you react emotionally when you look at those faces? For most of us, I'm sure we we react with a sense of the tragedy of losing a child, a tragedy that this, this child is missing. But eventually, we throw those cards and those milk cartons away. But what if it was your child? What if you looked at that card and you saw the face of your child staring back at you? Would you ever be able to throw that card away? Wouldn't you forever agonize over the lostness of that child? Well, in a sense, I think that God feels that heartbreak all the time. For he has so many missing Sons and daughters, lost. And he asks us, his followers, to be able to tell them the story of his love and to invite them to himself. Lee Strobel in a recent book has written this. What an outlandish idea that frail, infallible, timid, tongue-tied, insecure, inconsistent people like you and like me would be the main purveyors of the monumental news That can change people's eternal destinations. That is an outrageous truth. And to feel how powerful that is, we're going to learn the lesson that Andrew shows us in John chapter one. We should be like Andrew. Follow along as I read, starting in verse thirty-five. Here's what it says: The next day, John was there again with his two with two of his disciples. Now, this is John the Baptist. Was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. I'm struck by this scene. I'm first of all struck by the words of Jesus. The setting is the day after Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist has baptized Jesus, and God the Father has revealed himself in that setting and and, uh, identified Jesus as his son. And the next day comes, and Jesus and John the Baptist kind of are near to one another once again. And John has two of his disciples with him. Jesus is just beginning to build this crew that will travel with him in his ministries, and... John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God to his disciples. And they listened to that because they always understood that John's ministry was a forerunner ministry, that John was preparing the way for the true Messiah who would come. And so they left John, and they start to follow after Jesus. And look at Jesus' question in, in verse 38. He says, what do you want? It seems like an abrupt question to me. It seems kind of cold. What do you want? But it seems to me that Jesus, in that question, is peeling away any idle curiosity. He's peeling away just kind of a sense of being a hanger-on. He doesn't want an entourage. He's not building a posse here. He's building disciples who will represent him to the world. And he's still building disciples who will represent him to the world. And they respond with an even more odd phrase. They say, where are you staying? Now, that sounds to us like they're evading the question. But in reality, in the setting, that would be a polite, humble way to say to a superior, what I want is to spend time with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, come and see. He doesn't mean just come and see where I'm staying, see my place. No. He means come and see what I'm all about. Come and see what it means to follow me. That is the totality of Jesus' sales pitch. That is it right there. That's his recruiting slogan. Come and see. And it becomes part of the DNA of the disciples because later later on when Philip joins the group, he wants to go tell Nathaniel. Nathaniel has some doubts about this whole Jesus thing. And Philip says come and see come and that's what jesus says to the seeker it's an invitation to get to know him it's an invitation to spend some time and understand him and once you spend some time and understand him it seems that in that understanding a new awareness will grow the awareness that you have to go and tell to spread the message andrew spends Just a day with Jesus when he recognizes he must go and tell his brother, who we know as Peter, tell him that the Messiah has been found. Jesus has somehow, in that little time spent with Andrew, communicated, your job is to be an inviter. And that's what he wants to communicate to us as well. Your job, once you get to know me, is to be an inviter. Because the good news that the Messiah has come It's too good to keep it to ourselves. Go and tell your friends. Go and tell your families. Invite them to Jesus. There's something we need to do here at Quail Lakes Baptist Church. We need to develop as a culture of inviters. Being willing to invite people to church and to invite people to Christ. Both. I heard about a salesman who lost the sale. He thought he was going to uh, make the deal with this particular uh, individual and in the last minute he backed out. And the salesman was telling his supervisor about the loss of the sale and he used the expression, well, I guess this proves that you can bring a horse to water but you can't make them drink. And the supervisor said this, it's good for us to hear. He said, your job is not to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. And our job is to make people around us thirsty for what we have in Jesus Christ. You cannot do the converting. You cannot change hearts. You cannot change minds. The Holy Spirit will see to that. But you can make people thirsty for Jesus. It happens first as we allow people to see the change for the better that Jesus makes in our lives and in our hearts. That people see that we are more caring and more compassionate, more willing to share. We are less angry and more patient because God is in our lives. You make them thirsty by showing them that. But we also make them thirsty by telling them the gospel story and our story. I'm talking about witnessing in words, speaking the words of the gospel story and your story that the Holy Spirit will use. And I know that's how he works. Recently, I read the results of a survey. The survey asked the question, what was the first thing that got you started on a journey towards Jesus Christ? In other words, what was the first thing that got that movement going? Let me read you the statistics. 1%, 1%, of the people surveyed, said the first thing was they sensed their need and they, on their own, walked through the church door. 1%. 5% said it was an outreach ministry of a church, kind of bringing the gospel message outward. They first heard the story and they started their movement towards Christ. 8% said it was various church programs like Celebrate Recovery, Divorce Recovery, these kinds of things that met them at their point of need. They walked into it and eventually found Christ. 10% said it was the ministry of a pastor or the hearing of a message that that got them interested in things of the Lord moving towards Jesus Christ. So have you been doing the math? 76% of the people surveyed said it was a friend or a loved one who talked to them about Christ, that started them moving to the acceptance of Christ as personal Savior. 76%. I think the Holy Spirit is telling us something. He's telling us, this is the way I want to work. I want to develop a culture of inviters willing to speak the words of the gospel story. Let's start with inviting to church. In the same way that Andrew had compassion on Peter, as he was there with Jesus and he thought about his brother who was not experiencing this thing which was blessing him that he was experiencing. So we need to be able to think of the people in our lives, in our circles of friendship, in our families, who are missing what we are experiencing right here today. And we need to be able to invite them to come and to be with us You know why that's important? Because for, for adult converts, adults who come to Jesus as Savior, statistics show us that they do so after they come to know five or six believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, it takes a little bit of a community to reach the community. And so you bringing your friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus and introducing them to others who are followers of Christ is an important step in them coming to know Jesus. That's why we do special programs like the picnic this afternoon. We call those win events. We've invited the entire area, at least streets all around us. I encourage you, if you haven't already done it, go invite your neighbors in between now and the picnic. Bring them with you so that they, they may come, have a good time, and meet others who know Jesus as personal Savior. We are making friends for Christ at that level. It begins there. But also for Sunday morning. Invite people to come. You'll be surprised How many of the people that you are spiritually concerned for would say yes if you would just invite them to come? Be inviters. But it also means inviting them to Christ. It means being able to share the gospel story and being able to share your story. Most of us never have a conversation with anyone about being saved. And it's not because there's no sinners around us. It's because we feel inadequate or unprepared. Today, I want to prepare you. I want to give you a tool that you could use, that you could sit down at your kitchen table or on your living room couch with your friend next to you or maybe your child next to you, and you could show them the gospel message and what what humanity's problem is and what God's solution is. It's called The Roman's Road. And I've showed it to you before, but I'm going to show it to you again. Turn to Romans chapter 3. For those of you who heard this presentation before, The Roman's Road, you already know that what I'm, what I'm going to ask you to do is you follow a chain of verses through the book of Romans that you could follow in your Bible with somebody next to you and tell the, t- the gospel story. I'm going to ask you to write in the margins of the verses the next verse so that you could get there quickly. And explain the gospel to a friend. And it all starts in Romans 3 verse23. That's the first step on the Romans road to salvation. Here's verse 3:23. "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." That verse talks about humanity's problem. All of us are sinners, and that sin separates us from God. That's our problem. But next to Romans 3:23, write the verse 6:23. If you have something to write with and you haven't done it already, write 623, because that's the next verse in the Romans road. As you turn over to 623, it says, For the wages or result of sin is death. That's the result of our problem. 323 shows us our problem. 623 shows us the result of our problem. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's God's solution. God has a solution through Jesus Christ. Next to 6.23, write 5.8. Because if you go back to chapter 5, verse 8, you'll see how that solution comes to be for us. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took the wages of sin on himself. Jesus paid the price himself as our substitute on the cross. And he offers us the gift of forgiveness. And the way we take it is explained in Romans 10, 9 and 10. So right next to 5, 8, write 10, 9 and 10. Turn there. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. How do you take that gift of salvation that Jesus offers who you believe that he is who he said he is, he did what he said he would do, and you call out to him a confession of faith and you will be saved? And at that moment, if the friend that you're talking about begins to say, well, you know, you never, you don't know what I've done and you don't know where I've been and you don't know what I've seen, you take him to the very last step in the Romans road, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It will work for you if you humble yourself before the Lord. Now, being able to sit down at your kitchen table and simply show someone this passage, these, these five verses, this journey of five verses, you can tell the gospel story, the humanity's problem and God's solution. But more than that, you need to be able to tell your story. Because right next to that, they need to know that, that this is not just theoretical, it's real. And, and you have a story. If you know Christ as personal Savior, regardless of what you went through in your life, you have a story, a testimony of, of, of transformation that you need to be able to tell, And there's three words I want you to keep in mind about telling your story. Here's the three words. Brief, clear, and humble. Brief, clear, and humble. The first one is brief. Sometimes when we start to tell uh, speak about spiritual things, we think we need to mention every single spiritual goosebump moment we've ever had. Not true. You want to simply tell the story of how you came to accept Christ as Savior. Where did that happen for you? How did it occur for you? And what has changed within you? Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to write it down. Really. This afternoon or tomorrow, get a piece of paper or be at your computer and write down your story, how you came to know Christ. Write it in less than 200 words. It takes you six minutes to speak less than around 200 words. And if you can tell your story in six minutes, it's, it's a blessing to somebody. I have my story down in less than 200 words. How when I was a small boy, about nine years, years of age, I was in a church much like quail. And it was an evening meeting. And the preacher was preaching a sermon. I don't even remember what it was on. And I was way up in the balcony. And at the end of the, end of the evening, he gave an invitation. And he said, if you're not right with God tonight, and you need to be right with God, you come forward and pray with the deacon here in the front. And then we sang Just As I Am, about 40 verses. (laughs) Seemed like 40 verses, because I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I knew that I, I was not right with God. I knew that if I died that moment, I would not go to His heaven. I knew that. But you see, I was sitting with my friends up in the balcony. And I didn't want to be embarrassed, and I didn't want to go forward. And I sweated out all those verses of Just As I Am clinging to the pew rack in front of me. And then it, the song was over, and I was like, phew, phew, dodged a bullet. Then the preacher prayed this prayer. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight who should have come forward but did not come forward, <laughs> make their pillow hot tonight. Now, what he meant was make it hard for them to sleep. But I was nine years old or so, or so and I fully expected my pillow to be engulfed in flame. <laughs> I mean, I was under conviction of the Spirit, and that's what it takes, you see, to cross over from death to life. It takes a witness, and it takes conviction, and I had the conviction. I went home, and and, and later on that week, I prayed with my mom, and you know what she did? She sat down, she took me through the Romans Road, just so I got it, and I prayed, yes, to receive Christ as personal Savior. Your brief story can influence someone's eternity, brief, clear, and humble. The glory goes to God. It's not about how smart we are. It's about how gracious He is. And then you need to be willing to ask the question, would you like to pray to receive Christ? Some people will say no. You say, well, I hope you will one day. But some will say yes. You need to be ready simply to pray with them, to express the fact that they need Jesus in their life. They believe that He died on the cross and He rose again, and that belief... Today is taking root and they're calling out on him to be forgiven. We need to be willing to witness in words. It's one thing to say, well, it's all about my example, it's all about the life that I live, but the words have to be there so they get the message. Be an inviter. You never know how your invitation will be used of God. Let me tell you about a man named Ed Kimball, he owned a shoe store. But he was a believer in Jesus Christ, and he was able to tell the gospel story. He had a man working for him, a salesman, and he told that salesman the gospel story. And that salesman accepted Christ as Savior. His name was Dwight Moody. He went on to be the premier evangelist in his day. Both the United States and England, hundreds of thousands came to Christ under Dwight Moody's ministry. One of the men who listened to him preach in England was F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer decided to go into the ministry, and he came to the United States. And serving in the United States, one of the men who listened to F.B. Meyer was J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman was inspired to go into the ministry because of F.B. Meyer's preaching. J. Wilbur Chapman, Chapman met a baby believer, brand new in the faith, and he decided to disciple him and show him the things of Christ in depth. That man's name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became an evangelist, and he traveled all around the United States holding evangelistic rallies. One of them was in North Carolina. In Charlotte, North Carolina, Billy Sunday's meetings were so popular and responded to with such a excitement that the organizers said, well, we want to we hold these for a whole another week. But Billy Sunday had to leave because he had other engagements, and so they brought in a different preacher. His name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham preached the evangelistic message from there on in in those revival meetings. And there was a young man in the audience, just a teenage boy. But he came under the conviction of the Spirit and gave his life to Christ. His name is Billy Graham. You know about Billy Graham. Hundreds of thousands of people, literally worldwide, have come to know Jesus because of his message. And one of those is my father-in-law. This is the chain that we begin when we are ready to be inviters. Invite people to church. Invite people to Jesus because there should be and is an Ed Kimball in all of us. You can change somebody's eternity. Maybe you'd like to pray with somebody today about being a good witness for Jesus. Or maybe you'd like to discover the salvation that Jesus offers. In just a moment, we're going to go our separate ways. But they have, we have prayer counselors here in the front who would love to meet with you, to partner with you concerning whatever need you have as we invite others to love Christ the way we do. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Lord, forgive us for the times that we really just don't think about the people as eternal, eternal beings, the people around us that we just kind of deal with them on a day-to-day basis and we forget that they are your lost children. Lord, we pray that we would be able to be inviters. Bring to mind the people that you would have us speak to. And Lord, we pray that they would be receptive to the things of God, to the invitations that we make. Lord, we ask that because of that, the landscape of our lives change. Help us. We love these people. But we know that they're not promised eternity with you right now. Help us to be part of the solution, we pray. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.